justification, sanctification, reconciliation. You know, some think we shouldn't use such words in church because they're too churchy. They believe that if we're going to effectively communicate with the world, we should limit ourselves to using words the world already understands. Uh, some years ago, I picked up a, a modern paraphrase that had that as its stated goal. And at first glance, it seemed to make sense. But when they replaced the word grace with kindness, I knew they'd gone too far. There's a lot more to grace than simple kindness. And by using an easily understood word, they had lost much of the meaning of the original word. I decided to stick with the original. I also decided to continue using biblical words in preaching, even if they're hard to understand and require a definition. You know, when you substitute one word for another, you lose something or gain something that isn't in the original. There is a reason for having different words. And the authors of the Bible chose the words they used for good reason. And as a good friend and former English professor once told me, I tell my students there is no such thing as a synonym. Now, since most of us aren't fluent in Hebrew and Greek, we do have to translate the words they used into English. But we should always use the closest English equivalent, even if it's not a word commonly used today. And the word we're going to focus on today is reconciliation. I remember the first time that word was really brought to my attention. Three of us were freshmen at Lincoln, and our home church had invited us to preach. Dave's sermon was on reconciliation. His text was the text we come to today, and I think he loved the sound of that word, reconciliation. He used it over and over and over again, but he never defined it. In fact, I'm not sure he really understood what it meant, but it was certainly an impressive word for a college freshman to use. But we're going to define it today before we get into the text. And my 50-year-old Funkin' Wagnalls defines reconciliation as the act of reconciling or a state of being reconciled. I guess we better look up reconcile. Reconcile, to bring back to friendship after estrangement. In, in other words, it means to make friendly again. Let's see how the word is used in several verses of our text for today and a verse we'll look at next week. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, 
We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation, it's, it's a good word. And we do use the verb form of it on occasion when a couple has separated and then comes back together, we say they have reconciled. And after our checkbook is made to agree with the bank statement, it's been reconciled with the statement. It's a term that can be used in a variety of ways, but it's most often used with regard to relationships. Personal relationships are the context in which Paul uses it. So we're going to talk about reconciled relationships this morning. And whether it be husband and wife, parent and child, neighbor to neighbor, employer to employee, or whatever, who can doubt that there are a lot of relationships that need reconciled? Why is that? Quite simply because most relationships are fleshly relationships. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Paul has just said that the love of Christ controls him. That since Christ died for him, he died to self and began living for Christ. Therefore, he says, from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. In other words, his relationship with Christ made a difference in the way he views others, a difference in the way he established relationships with them. No longer did he establish relationships on the basis of the flesh. But isn't that the natural way to establish a relationship? Before two people establish a relationship, they generally evaluate each other on a fleshly level. They look at each other's characteristics, interests, and so forth, and decide whether or not they want to build a relationship. If we find someone who seems to be compatible with us, we say, let's be friends. If we find someone we think will help us achieve our goals and objectives in life or improve our standing with others, we try to build a relationship with them. If we're looking for love and find someone we think we could love and who might be able to love us, we try to enter into a relationship with them. On the other hand, however, we also tend to reject certain people on the basis of what we observe. If we seem to have little in common, we don't make the effort to get acquainted. If they would pull us down socially or economically, we avoid them. If they would be a drain on our emotional reserves, we steer clear of any involvement with them. Our relationships are therefore entered into selectively and are what we might call horizontal 
in nature. They're simply formed on the basis of what we might gain from the relationship. Paul said the flesh was initially the basis of his relationship or lack of relationship with Christ. He viewed Jesus as a rabble-rousing heretic and blasphemer who was leading good Jews astray. He evaluated Jesus on a fleshly, horizontal level and rejected him on that basis. And most of our relationships, even most marriages, are built on that horizontal basis. A man and a woman meet and discover they have basic compatibilities and shared interests. They build mutually fulfilling emotional ties and they get married. But the relationship is horizontal in nature. It's just two people drawn together who decide to get married. Initially, things go well. But then they often discover some incompatibilities and characteristics they don't particularly like and find themselves drifting apart. The relationship is therefore put into tension. One minute, they're drawn toward each other. The next, they're repulsed. One minute, they feel close. The next, they feel estranged and in need of reconciliation. And that's the way it is with fleshly relationships. They are made or lost on the basis of the flesh. Paul initially had that kind of relationship with Christ, but no longer. When he really encountered Christ, everything changed. When he entered into a spiritual relationship with Christ, not only did his relationship with Christ change, his relationships with others changed as well. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Christ makes us new. And he makes our relationships new. No longer do we evaluate men on a fleshly horizontal level. Fleshly compatibilities and interests and personal benefits are no longer the primary basis for possible relationships. We now look at people in relation to Christ. If they are in Christ, they are our brothers or sisters. And that relationship ties us together no matter what our personal differences might be. And if they're not in Christ, we see them in that light. We realize that they are what they are because they are outside of Christ. That helps us understand them. And it keeps us from writing them off. We know that Christ can make a difference in their life. And therefore, a difference in our possible relationship if given a chance. We know he can make a new creature of them as he has done with us. We know many of their old objectionable characteristics can be replaced with new Christ-like ones. So we evaluate people differently now that we are in Christ. It's not just how I relate to you and you to me. It's how we relate 
to Christ. We now have someone outside, above ourselves, who introduces a vertical dimension into our relationship. Instead of a one-dimensional horizontal relationship, we now have a triangle made up of you, me, and Christ. And that helps stabilize our relationship. And even in marriage, that triangle is good. It gives us a reason beyond ourselves for holding things together. If Christ is involved in our marriage, we take seriously the vows we made in his presence to be what he would have us be to each other. That keeps us together, irrespective of how we feel at the moment about the other person. It works in a similar fashion in our other less formal relationships. Christ is in them as well. We have to consider how he would have us relate to one another as brothers and sisters and how he would have us relate to potential brothers and sisters. And subsequently, the quality of all our relationships improves. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Relationships are being reconciled, beginning with our relationship to God. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All these things, Paul says, are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God made it possible for us to be friends again through Jesus, and that changes everything about us. We are now back in harmony with our Creator. We now have a sense of divine direction in our life. We now have a reason to think beyond today and our own selfish needs, and that certainly changes our relationships with people. We are loved so we can be more loving. We have been accepted so we can be more accepting. We have been forgiven so we can be more forgiving. God has been patient with us so we can be patient with others. God gave himself for us so we can give ourselves for others. Because our relationship with him, our relationships with others improve. In marriage, if both have been reconciled to God, have been made friends with God, he has become the focus and the foundation of the relationship. And if that's the case, something beautiful is going to happen. Instead of having a life in tension, being drawn to one another and then repelled by one another because our focus is solely on each other, they focus on a mutual friend, their Lord and Savior. And he becomes the apex of their triangular relationship and the focus of their life together. And the really neat thing about a triangle is that 
the closer you come to the top, what? The closer you get to each other. That's what happens when Christ is made Lord of your marriage. And it can happen in all our other relationships as well. As we respond to having been made God's friend by getting closer and closer to him, we become closer to all those who are getting closer to him as well. And since we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, of letting others know that God wants to be their friend too, we're able to build more and more good relationships in the world as more and more people are reconciled to God. And those reconciled relationships become reconciling relationships. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God came to earth in the form of Jesus to reconcile the world to himself. A world that was in rebellion, a world made up of men and women who had sinned against God and who had turned their backs on him. Jesus came that that sin might be forgiven and that men and women could once again become friends of God. And to those who became friends with God was given the word of reconciliation, the message that anyone who would could become a friend of God. And as more and more people become friends of God, more and more become friends. They become brothers and sisters. That's God's way to reconcile the world. If people have what seem to be irreconcilable differences, God's way of getting them together isn't by trying to get them to compromise and trade off until they decide they can come together in agreement. God's way is to get them first reconciled to himself. And then as they build closer relationships with him, they find themselves becoming closer and closer to one another. As this expands from person to person, it's possible that a significant number in any given community will find themselves reconciled to God and therefore also reconciled to one another. And that, my friend, is the hope of the world. That more and more become reconciled to God so they can also be reconciled to one another. And that is why Jesus came to earth, to bring peace on earth by reconciling the world to the Father through him. That's the key to peace, real peace on any level. Peace between men between families, between races, between political parties, between nations. 
It all starts in the same place with you and your relationship to God. Is God your friend? He wants to be. And he sent his son to make it possible. There may not have been room for him in the inn, but if there's room for him in your heart, you can become an agent of peace on earth. I've asked Darren to challenge us to do just that in song. that was meant to be with God as our Father brothers all are we let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony take let this be my solemn vow to take each moment and live each moment in peace eternally let there be peace on earth and let it be Father, we live in a world that is in need of peace, as it's been since that very first sin, shortly after creation. You sought to address that need in many different ways, but the primary way is through your Son, who came to be the Prince of Peace, the one who actually makes it possible for us all to become your friend. And as we celebrate that friendship with our creator, we can become friends with each other. Thank you, Father, for giving to us a message of reconciliation, of bringing people back to you and back to each other. It's our prayer that we're faithful to that call. It's our prayer that you'll use us to be agents of peace because we've let Jesus come into our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.